0: This is a HeadGum Podcast.
1: This is why you're single. This is why you're single.
2: Welcome to the This Is Why You're Single podcast. I'm Laura Lane.
1: And I'm Angela Spera. We are the co-writers of the book, This Is Why You're Single. Every week we highlight a different dating topic. This week's episode is Why Your Pelvic Floor Matters to Your Sex Life.
2: Yes, it does. Also in the lineup, we're talking about what's new in dating news, how to get better at meeting people, IRL, and when it's okay to have a crush. Then we're diving into the mailbox to answer your listener questions, including one listener who wants to know why she gets discomfort during sex, another listener with UTI-related pain, and who also needs some help finding a graceful way to turn down people after two dates.
1: She's got so much going on. A
2: lot going on. Uh, But first, we want to welcome this week's guest. She owns the Functional Pelvis, which is a private practice specializing in pelvic floor therapy. She graduated from MIU with a master's in science and occupational therapy. She helps women find relief from conditions such as bowel and urinary incontinence, constipation, pelvic pain, Pel- pain during intercourse, prolapse, and pre- and postnatal complications. She teaches pelvic anatomy and pelvic floor health. She's also a mother of two. Please welcome Lindsay Vestal. Hi,
0: guys. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for, mm-hmm.
2: for coming on the podcast. So I met you when I I went to a class that one of my yoga teachers was teaching, and you taught it with her. It was all about pelvic floor stuff. I've talked a little bit on the on the podcast about I, I've been to pelvic floor therapy when I was having like a lot of UTI related issues and uh but but a lot of people don't know about it. Uh yeah. I had never heard of it But until...
1: as soon as you mentioned it on the podcast we got a ton of emails. So it is a tight knit sorority of women yes that are dealing with their pelvic floor.
2: Right. And 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 then when I've talked about my issues with, like, close friends, they're like, oh, my God, I have that exact same thing. Like, I get UTI pain, and then I go to the doctor, they test me for a UTI, and then they're like, you don't have a UTI, it's something else. Right. But, but a lot of doctors don't know about pelvic floor. Anyways, it, we need to raise the awareness because, you know, just listing all of the things that you help women find relief from – can you explain just a little bit in brief, like what is pelvic floor therapy for those who have never heard of it? Yeah, I couldn't
0: agree more. It's such an under-discussed topic. And I think one of the reasons for that is because... In all honesty, this specialty is only about 20, 25 years old. Uh, So likely if our moms or our parents had issues with their pelvic floor, they wouldn't even have had a specialist to talk to. So unless you're guided by a community or a group of friends or your doctor is really forthcoming with referrals and understanding how this specialty can help you, you likely don't come across it. I think that's starting to change. Uh, One of the biggest reasons for that, is because it's a part of the body that's really private, right? It's taboo to talk about, and therefore, we don't. And that's what we try to do on the podcast. We try
2: to break down taboos. That's
0: I love right. it. This I, I, When you contacted me after that workshop, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, so I have a question.
1: So I don't have... A UTI problem, but I have a pelvic floor. Like, could
0: anybody benefit from pelvic floor therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I'm going to answer that question with just a little bit of background, just to give um, a sense of a sense of how to kind of think about this with a little more ease. If you think about what the pelvic floor is responsible for, so what it does for us, sort of its function, it helps to 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 realize if we could benefit from some some specialty like this. So even though you guys are going to hear me say over and over, these muscles are like any and every other muscle in the body, meaning they need to be able to move through full range of motion they're special in the sense that they don't actually cross a joint. So unlike my elbow where I can watch my bicep contract and then drop and then reach my glass of wine sitting across from me uh, and I can get feedback, instantaneous feedback, is my arm working? Is it moving? Is it painful? Does it look smooth? That's letting me know the function of that muscle. I don't get that same sort of instantaneous satisfactory feedback about the muscles in our pelvis. So if we look to their function or their responsibility or what we rely on them for, it really helps organize our thoughts around how is my pelvic floor and could I benefit from this type of therapy? So the three main roles and responsibilities or functions of the pelvic floor are bowel and bladder, intimacy, and organ protection. And Which so Which are
2: all pretty important things.
0: Pretty important things and things we don't talk about. So, um, and and in those areas, we can dive deeper into this as we go on. But, um, you know, it makes sense that we need to be able to contract those muscles or flex them like I am when I'm doing a bicep curl. And it makes sense that I need to be able to let them go. And those those roles and responsibilities do fall into those three categories, elimination, intimacy, and organ protection. So back to your question, Angela, about how do I know? Always kind of come back to those three areas. I have this really great questionnaire which we can we can post for listeners. It's also on my website that breaks down those categories and lets you know what's normal. Because I don't know about you guys, but has anyone ever said to you there's an optimal amount of time a day that you're supposed to be peeing? Yes.
2: And I just all of these things that I've that I've heard one, once I started going to pelvic floor therapy of like what's normal. I'm like, "Oh, so like things a lot of things that I was doing that I was raised to think are normal are mm-hmm. not Are not normal. Like, well, what I forget, and I should know because I went to so many pelvic floor (laughs) therapy sessions. It's is like six times, yeah, six to eight. So six
0: to eight times in twenty four hours, or once every two to four hours.
2: And another big fact that I learned during pelvic floor therapy. That is like a big problem. So women, so me and you, Angela, if we're like out at the mall, mm-hmm. okay, we never go to the mall. If we're out <laughs> if we're out at like a bar and I'm like, we're getting a drink and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, come with me. Like you, like girls always go to the bathroom with each other. And I remember growing up when I did go to the mall, my mom would be like, go to the bathroom before we leave just in case. Mm-hmm, and I yeah. have since learned that that is bad. Don't do that. You never want to pee just in case. Because if you are relieving yourself when your bladder is only like 20 to 30 percent full, it trains your brain to think that it needs to empty itself when it's only 20 to 30 percent full. So then you'll start to need to go more than those six to eight times mm-hmm. and all this. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so that, basically. Um, isn't that? Is, Angela, it's a P myth.
2: I didn't know. <laughs> it's a P myth. I love that. It's, but right? What, But what about... Girls need to stop going in groups and moms (laughs) need to stop telling their kids to pee just in case. Well, you're a
1: mom. Do you... Like when you're
0: going places, do you not have your kids pee before you go? So, you know, the, the interesting thing about kids in particular are their neurological system of elimination. So their bowel and bladder cues don't actually mature until age eight. So if your child is actually wetting their bed up to age eight, it's actually quote unquote normal because that system hasn't fully developed um, that being said, my own personal philosophy is like I tell my clients, which is respond to an urge. So don't preemptively pee. Don't pee out of convenience because, okay, let's face it. We're in New York City. There's restrooms here. A, we may not know where the restroom is and B, if we do, we may not want to use it. So we preemptively pee. Um, and if we do that, just like you said, Laura, so you described it perfectly, um, our bladder and our brain have this signaling system and we need to wait for an urge to have that message, send a, uh, a message up our spinal column and our brain sends us that sen- that that message, go to the bathroom, go to pee. If we preemptively go, we're changing that communication. And ladies, I'm not talking about just once. This is a pattern. This is like months of of kind of programmed behavior that is so mundane that you don't even think about it or stop to analyze that it could be changing the role and responsibility and tone of your pelvic floor, which does impact sex, um, and so, really, what I tell my kids and what I tell my clients is wait for a legitimate urge Now, there are categories of my clients that have legitimate urges that are less than every two hours, like every fifteen minutes that 's a whole nother category, and that 's people that really do need to to think uh, to attend public floor therapy. But at the end of the day, it, it is about responding to an authentic urge versus preemptively going.
2: And I think I was going, I was doing this thing that I've been taught, like, go just in case, go just in case. That uh, then when I, I went to, like, a specialist, they did, like, a scan of my bladder, and it wasn't emptying all the way. Yeah. It's so annoying, like, when you ever go to the bathroom, and then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, I got to go again.
1: It's because your bladder doesn't empty all the way.
0: Yeah. It's well, crazy.
1: My mind is kind of blown. Can I tell you another myth, Angela? <laughs> Yes, but now I'm sad that we won't get to pee together every time one of us (laughs) has to go. Um, Yes, tell me.
2: Okay, so I'm sure we talk a lot about dating and sex, and how much do we read in all of the magazines and cause It's like Kegels, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Like, tighten your vagina, and like, I'll read articles on Cosmo, it's like, tighten your vagina, do all these Kegels, and and, uh, you'll be better at sex, you'll be able to like you know hug the penis and like whatever you know this is what these right. are this is what yeah. these articles say they're like Probably. you know, do kegels while you're having sex and like the the penis can feel it it feels good you'll be better at sex right. well i apparently had done it's like a combination between doing maybe like too many kegels mm-hmm. versus also having multiple utis i was too tight <laughs> Yes. And that, which not, is
1: like such a Laura Lane problem to have. Like, no, but it's not. My vagina is too tight. No, but it, And it's
2: not like, a, I know it sounds braggy because we've been conditioned to think that right. that's a good thing, you know, but it was causing a lot of, it was so tight to the to the point where I was feeling like I had UTIs when there were no UTIs there because the muscles were just like pulling on everything where I was having pain. And that's how I ended up in pelvic floor therapy was right. after I had gotten all the, you know, they're like, you don't have a UTI. I was like, trust me. I know what a UTI is. I have a UTI. And they're like, you don't, you need to go to pelvic floor therapy. And that's when they told me my vagina was too tight. And they were like, don't do one more Kegel. I was like, what? But I do them every day. They're like, no, you're not allowed to do any more Kegels. It's kind of like
0: Goldilocks, right? It's got to be just right.
2: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why is there this myth perpetuated that like, women should be doing kegels all the yeah. all day, every day to have tight vaginas. And yeah. this can like be very detrimental.
0: Yeah. So I think it, it goes back to it's still a pretty early understanding, you know, the, these concepts of pelvic health. And the fact that we can't see them doesn't make it any easier. So back to what I said about them being like any other muscle in the body, if you were walking around, Angela, with your arm constantly contracted like this, after a little while you would say to me, Lindsay, what's up with your arm? Like why are you just holding it like that? Right. And I tell you, it's kind of actually painful to let it go. It kind of sucks. My blood flow has been cut off because I've been holding it like this for so long. And you just know that that, and keeping it there wouldn't help. So it's kind of like that with Kegels. If you have a tight set of muscles down there keeping them tighter or just focusing on the Kegel, which by the way, in our society is really emphasizing the lift or the tension or the tightness, you're not doing yourself any favors. A muscle needs to be able to move through full range of motion. Also, by the way, the Kegel, this term the Kegel, it came from Dr. Dr. Kegel or Kegel, however, you, tomato tomato. And even in his paper, which was written in you know 30s or 40s, didn't advocate for doing a 1,000 Kegels a day. It was a, a, a research or guidelines for, hey, there's muscles down there, guys. We can actually tone them and they contribute to quality of life. Somehow, fast forward X number of years later, we've really taken it to mean that when we think pelvic health, we think Kegels. And that's the only aspect of it. And if it's tighter and more tone, it's better. Um, if we go back to those three main roles or things that we rely on our pelvic floor for, so let's talk about peeing, especially Laura, because that was your your issue. If our muscles are constantly tight and tense and tone, we're not actually going to be able to get our urine out completely. So, um, if you think about how a tightening aspect or a kegel helps peeing, it keeps it in when you're not ready, right? So, you're you're in a meeting, it's not time to go. Your muscles unconsciously actually contract to be able to keep everything in. But then, when it's time to go, they need to be able to let go. They need to be able to be supple and soft and relaxed so they completely empty. So, that that in a nutshell is sort of why we can't just blindly slap Kegels on someone's problem. And in fact, if you were to call me and say, hey, I'm leaking urine, I wouldn't have any idea if you're too tight or too relaxed because at the end of the day, leaking is a sign of un- um lack of coordination of muscle. So the inability to be able to move smoothly through space, like me grabbing my glass of wine and then bringing it to my face. And if the function isn't there or the coordination isn't there, we're going to see it break down. And usually that's an example would be leaking.
2: So do you think I'm in the good place? Because I'm in these, you know, mommy groups. And some of the women just in casual conversation is if it's normal, like, ha, 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 yeah, I sneeze and I... And I pee, like being pregnant, you know, pregnant problems. And that's never happened to me. Like, so I feel like, is that normal for them to be like sneezing and peeing when you're pregnant?
0: So let's say that it's, it's common, but not biologically normal. Okay, it's common for pregnancy mainly because of if you think about the weight of the baby and the uterus and the placenta and I think like our blood volume increases by 40 so percent 30 just 30 percent yeah yeah, yeah yeah just the sheer weight of those factors does put an extra strain on our pelvic floor muscles to be able to tighten so that they can keep urine in. Um, and then postpartum, it's a whole different topic, but yeah, I think that bodes really well for you. Um, that that's not a symptom that you're having. Yeah. I've been like scared
2: because I, I, all these like, uh, mommy blogs and mommy groups are like, oh yeah, baby kicks me in my bladder and I pee. And I've been like freaked out that that's going to happen to me. And I'm like, okay, that does not happen to me. I think I've, (laughs) I finally have gotten like my pelvic floor in like the perfect equilibrium so I'm, I'm not planning on that happening to me.
0: I strongly encourage if anyone's listening, if they're having that experience being pregnant or even postpartum, seek out a pelvic floor therapist. Um, they are somebody that provides a tremendous amount of education about what's normal and what you can do about it. And there's been a research study that recently came out that said that there is a there's a correlation with if you're experiencing symptoms while you're pregnant that likely you're, you're, some of those same symptoms may stick around after you have the baby. So I strongly urge people to get checked out now and have a better understanding of these muscles, which can only be instrumental in both the pushing and labor and delivery phase as well as the postpartum recovery phase. Wow. This is like I'm just thinking I've, I need to get checked out. I've never gotten my pelvic floor checked out. What happens in a, in a therapy session? That's a great question. So... Um, you know, we really do. So no one really receives this education in grad school. So we're sort of a special variety of people that like are called to this and really seek it out and receive continuing education. So we want to be talking about sex. We want to be talking about pee and poop and all of these really glamorous dinner table conversations. All my favorite topics. And yeah, so you're we got, we, got,
2: we got intimate very quickly when I went to my pelvic floor therapy session. I was like, oh, we're talking about this. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. And now
1: we're doing yeah. it. Because
2: I had never, you know, I've... When I went to like physical therapy, when I like had hurt my head, like I knew people that had been to physical therapy. I had never met anyone that had been to pelvic floor therapy. So I didn't, wasn't able to ask like, how invasive is it? Yeah. Pretty invasive. It gets pretty personal quick. But like. Did you
0: talk about your pee and your poop?
2: Everything. It's very imbas- – like, sa- like everything. It's th- pretty uh, intimate.
0: I think one of the big reasons why – so I, I personally um, set people up uh, expectation-wise um, by sending them a questionnaire ahead of time and I also have a call with them because I really – to me – This is not a part of the body that's like rehabbing a knee or an elbow. We are going to develop a rapport. We are going to be really comfortable with one another. And so that emotional and psychological aspect really has to be taken into effect. This is not muscles that, even though they are like every other muscle in the body... They're 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 special, okay. And so that really takes somebody that has sought it out. We want to be there. We didn't just happen into it. So number one, recognizing that. Number two, um, those of us who you know really recognize this role, this psychosocial element, are going to spend time developing that relationship. So yes, while there is internal work, I wouldn't really say it's invasive. I would say that it's very gentle. There's no stirrups and. Guys, I don't always even do it the first session. So if someone's timid or not sure, there's so much we can do externally. And there's so many other alignment things that we can talk about and do that set the stage um, that if they decide they want to go there and get more information, we absolutely can. But it's it's one of those things where um, the questionnaire that I send them ahead of time sets that stage. And what I love about that is, so for instance, you were able to answer pretty quickly, like how many times a day do you pee? A lot of people are like, "Oh, it's pretty mundane." I don't really think about that. But I didn't know it first. Yeah, I would say I, that's I, I had me. I had to keep track, and then I was like, "Oh, twelve times a day. Yeah. Oh, that's too much." <laughs> So by getting this questionnaire, they're, they actually stop and think about it. And then by the time they meet up with me, they're able to give me much more quality information. And we're already starting to digress into treatment and what they can do and what are norms that they can put into place. So behavioral modifications that they can actually implement the day they leave my office or my I do house calls. So the day I leave their apartment... Um, and so that's really important because it sets the stage and then just building that rapport and and just making that connection.
2: And like a lot of like food stuff so that I had never paid attention to where it was like, oh, if I have like a spicy lemonade, like I'm gonna pee three times in an hour afterwards and and' because of
1: the spiciness.
2: Yeah, or just oh. like the acidity. there's like a and like she gave me like a list of foods and drinks that can potentially like irritate your urinary tract which is universal for like anyone not and she basically my person basically said that not all of these irritate everyone but you have to figure out which ones irritate
0: you so i yeah. don't know it's pretty holistic yeah. right we take into account nutrition behavior the tone of the muscles everyday habits uh it's, it's pretty amazing stuff, guys. I really love my job. <laughs> That's awesome. And
1: there's
2: like, oh, yeah, wait, go, you go ahead. What were
1: you going to ask? Oh, no. Well, I was going to, I have, a, I wanted to ask about a different aspect. So is oh, this still on the no, same No, go, go for okay, it. Okay, so I was going to say, let's lean into the TMI element of this episode. Let's do it. Let's talk about poop a little bit, just a little bit about poop. So I am obsessed with my squatty potty. I love my Squatty Potty.
0: Is it true though? Like is is that really the best position yeah. for going to the bathroom? That's a great question. So for those that aren't familiar with the Squatty Potty, it basically is this like semi, semi-circle shaped stool that you put underneath the, the commode or the toilet and you just – so it slips out under the underneath when you don't need it and then when it's time for a BM, you take it out and just slide it out and you basically – put your knees higher than your pelvis. So the idea behind this is twofold. Number one, you're opening up your anal rectal angle. Very technical term. <laughs> First time we've used that term on the show. <laughs> oh, I, I feel so honored. Um, so you're owning, opening up your anal rectal angle, which basically naturally is a muscle that stays kinked, when you're not in that squat position. And when you go into that squat position, it's naturally unraveling or in a better position. So you're setting yourself up for anatomical success. There is still the role of the muscles. There's still some other things going on but I'd say that it basically unkinks the angle. So that's one less hurdle to go over. So if you think about back in the day before we had modern plumbing, which by the way, huge advocate for, we need, <laughs> we, need we need modern plumbing. Same. Yep, yep. But we used to squat. And so that, you know, there was less less instances of, of hemorrhoids and constipation because that's just what our body needed to do and, and how to do it. Um, and so I think the, ad, the advent of the Squatty Potty has been a really fantastic way of... Um, solving that problem. Keeping modern plumbing, but making our anal rectal angle open.
2: I remember talking about that in one of my sessions. like About like, your anal rectal <laughs> Not that specifically, but like pooping wasn't like really like an issue. I didn't like come for that issue, but like while she was just giving me like an overview of the pelvic floor, she was like, oh, also I'm going to like show you like the correct way to poop because most people like don't
1: know. Come and- for the UTIs, stay for the poop advice. <laughs> and she
2: like full on like was like, you want your knees like above your hips, And then like lean forward and like don't push hard because that will like you know a lot of people are like you know she was like plan to like chill for a bit and I was like what like just
1: chalk it up to me time (laughs)
2: like and I was like nobody teaches people know no. like no. they just like don't teach people to poop they, especially like,
1: not women yeah we, women feel like we can talk a, about it
2: and i mean like i wasn't having issues but then i was like oh but i'm also like not really doing it the right way like i'm not like leaning forward how she said my knees were not like above my hips and let me know if, if you agree with like this or the way she was telling me to <laughs> and and she was like sometimes you're there for 20 minutes and like that's normal what's not normal is like grunting and and she was just saying like a lot of her clients do that. They're like, oh, get out now! Oh, oh my god! <laughs> and I'm like, what do you do when you're like at a restaurant? She's like, yeah, I mean, like, like you know, you, people make exceptions, but like, yeah, you you're not supposed to like poop in like a
0: minute always, you know? Yeah. Is so this all correct? It's absolutely correct. You've got a great pelvic floor therapist. <laughs> uh, when I, what, why I loved, she went into that. Well, you you didn't go with, you know, bowel movement issues. But the reason why I love that she went into that for you is, like you said, number one, um, no one talks about it. But number two, it actually is going to help your urinary uh, symptoms, right? So these muscles, they do the same job. They do the, the protecting of our organs. They contribute to you know, amazing intimacy and they contributed to bowel and bladder behavior. So if you are using bad behavior and bowel movements, it's going to spill over into your bladder habits and vice versa. So it's really comprehensive and you want to dive deep into all three categories and assess them so that they complement each other and are helping each other.
2: And I feel like a lot of doctors just don't know about this. Like for years when I was having reoccurring UTIs or UTI symptoms, I was first prescribed a prescription that I had to take Every time I had sex, and, yep. uh, an antibiotic. And yep. and I was, like, on antibiotics for years. Yeah. And then, like, as soon as I saw a special show, they were, they were, like, get off the antibiotics, ASAP. Really? Yeah. They. I mean, I had to take this, like, special cranberry supplement that I've talked about that's not, like, those BS ones at Duane Reed or Rite yeah. Aid. It was called, like, Allura. And then they sent me to pelvic floor therapy. And I've been, like, I mean, I had, like, one time that I had... A, pain again and like went back for another like session but it was really probably my fault because I wasn't doing like the exercises but I've been like symptom pain free since and it's like changed my life because for like five years six like I was having I just thought that I was for the rest of my life was going to be someone that had UTIs and UTI pain and was going to have to be on antibiotics every time I had sex and like that's not the case.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, our urologists, our gynecologists, our urogynecologists, a lot of these specialties, or even our GP, um, when we go to them for help with these problems, they're really going to look at it from a very medical lens. So they want to make sure there's not an infection going on. Um, and they're they're not going to really dive deep into the quality of life issues that we as public floor therapists are going to. Um, number one, we have the time. So I spend 90 minutes with my clients in the evaluation and 60 minutes with them as follow-up. I don't know about you guys, but last time I went to a doctor, I was lucky if I got 10 minutes, right? And and we just barely scratched the surface. So they're really going to look at it from a medical lens. Um, and whereas we kind of fill in the gaps of these quality of life issues that is very rehab focused. We're developing a relationship with you. We're talking about and breaking down lifestyle habits that you've likely taken for granted and I think that there's a lot of forward-thinking doctors that get that and are referring to us, um, but it's still a fairly new profession and there's so much education that needs to be done, not only to our referring physicians, but also the clients, Every all of us who don't realize that this can have a profound quality of life impact, not only now, potentially when you have your baby. And then also just looking forward into like menopause, which, you know, is down the road, but it's a, it's another huge hormonal shift. I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) And it's an opportunity to, to just look at your pelvic health life as a continuum. And as a, as a, as a, so I get a lot of clients who are pregnant. I got a lot of clients who are concerned about tearing and concerned about labor and delivery. I'm just not
2: going to tear. I'm putting that out into the world.
0: It can happen. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And so that's when people really start to ask questions and wonder about their pelvic floor for the first time. And they really want to know. They're like, what is this? And I think that's a great opportunity to then, I always open up the conversation of like, okay, so what's next? What's down the road? nursing, breastfeeding has huge fundamental changes on our pelvic floor. So we talk about that. We talk about what's the next chapter in our hormonal development as a woman, menopause. And so we're really setting the stage for your life.
2: Breastfeeding can affect my pelvic floor. Absolutely. Wait, what?
0: Yeah. How How? So when we're producing... So let me first say I'm so pro-nursing. I breastfed both my babes. um, But I think that it's really important to understand the full picture and to kind of know how it affects our body. So that being said, when we're producing milk, uh, we don't produce as much estrogen, okay? When we don't produce estrogen, two main things happen to our pelvic floor. Number one, we don't produce as much moisture. I was going to say, you dry up. Dry up. You dry up. And number two, the muscles actually atrophy. They start to thin. Guess what, guys? No. This is menopause. Is this when
2: your vagina falls out?
0: No. That's a totally different issue. And if you're wondering why I have a rubber chicken next to me, which I wish – we should take a picture so everyone will. can see. Because when I took it out on <laughs> well, the counter, everyone was like, okay.
2: Hey, why does she have It'll that? be in our Instagram video. Yep. <laughs> so um, that's not prolapse when your v- no. vagina falls out. No.
0: Well, so uh, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but um, what was I saying? Uh,
2: you were telling me about breastfeeding and Oh right
0: so so that is actually what happens permanently when we're going through menopause our estrogen declines our muscles thin out they have less tone and they're drier okay so as a nursing mom it's temporary but it's a window into, okay, so what happens? Is sex different? Am I less comfortable? So this is an opportunity to really kind of pay it forward and know, okay, so what are some things I can do? How can I make it better and more comfortable so that years down the road, it is still comfortable? Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I want an active sex life when I'm in my 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. yeah me too. And
1: when I'm breastfeeding. Yeah. And when you're breastfeeding.
0: <laughs> so um, some, some tricks and tips that are really helpful, especially for the dryness, is lube. Lube. Oh, I'm all about the lube. <laughs> but, I mean, all now. Natural lube, yeah, uh, absolutely. I love,
2: I love lube
1: all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Laura is always covered in lube. <laughs> so um, up to like, three. Angela and
2: I got some. We've gotten some free lube recently.
1: We, yeah, Lola yeah, makes great, uh, like make organic lube. lube. You could get lube
2: from our sponsor, Adam and Eve. Uh, but we like have so I have so many lube I options. I have so much lube that I've just
1: been like Angela's just been taking it all home. I don't know <laughs> what you do with it all. Well now that you when you're breastfeeding, I know you're going to need some. Oh, you're going to give a back I'll, to me? I'll share <laughs> it with you. Um the other thing you
2: mentioned was was tearing. So Nick and I were watching a show on Netflix and there was this scene with a expecting woman and uh, and her, and her husband, and her husband was doing these like massages mm-hmm. on her vagina to like stretch it out, and she, and, and you could you could only the you know the the picture on the on the show was only like you her know, tum her no, it was like it was you know chest up like okay. it was you didn't see, and Nick looks at me horrified and goes, <laughs> "Is that a real thing?" And I was like, "I don't, I think." I mean, I knew that like stretching was, I didn't know that like the husbands do it for them, but I was like, yeah, that's a real thing. And he's like, oh God, <laughs> he was horrified. <laughs>
1: it's like, a bonding experience.
2: I don't know. Yeah. that she was, she was like, ow, ow, ow. And he's like, 10 more seconds, babe. 10 more seconds. Oh and, my God. And Nick, go, well, I forget what, what was the show called? Was it Easy or, yeah, the show was called Easy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Nick, I, I just wish I had a picture of like Nick's wide horrified eyes like do I have to do that like is that a real thing but uh, I so far I've not made him do it I've been doing my exercises on my own Um, but is that what you would recommend for for, yeah so so lube when I'm breastfeeding yeah and then does does should Nick be giving massages to me now
0: so um typically, I recommend uh, starting what we call perineal massage um like around week thirty five week thirty six um earlier if you if you have reason to. Um, definitely discuss it with your doctor, but the idea is that it shouldn't be very painful. So I want everybody just to like take their index finger and their thumb and kind of hold them away, hold them apart, like a V symbol. That's how
2: wide it should be. No, no, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I I mean, I know that's even smaller than a baby's head, but still that's pretty wide. (laughs) Yeah. So take your other hand and just like use the thumb and index finger and try to separate, separate the other hand's thumb and index finger and keep it there for a second. That's a like a gentle a gentle sensation. It's not incredibly intolerable, but it's a sense of, yeah, I'm getting a little stretchier. That's about what it should feel like. Mm. So if it's painful, just like every other part of the body, when we experience pain, we're going to clench, we're going to tighten, we're going to protect ourselves. And the whole idea of this type of massage and labor prep in general is about being soft and accommodating and supple and open so that we have less trauma to our pelvic floor with delivery. So gentle, this is not a part of the body where more, more pain is more gain.
2: Cool. Wow, this is all... Uh, yeah. I hope um, Nick was watching her demonstration because <laughs> it's kind of hard to do on yourself. Now I see why in the, the Netflix show Easy... The husband was doing it, but I don't
0: know. You know, I want to keep a little mystery down there. We'll, we'll, (laughs) we'll discuss, we'll think about it. So I do have a document that I've written that um, really helps explain perennial massage and helps modernize it a bit. Um, I think that no one's really kind of stopped and updated an, an older document that's out there that everyone kind of uses. So if you guys want, um, yeah, email it to after the show. Cool, I'll do it.
2: <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to have more questions later. There's so much to talk about. Can you believe there's still more to talk about when it comes to the pelvic floor? Specifically, later on in the show, we're going to talk more about sex and the pelvic floor, and also men can do, men doing Kegels. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. But first, let's take a quick break to thank some of our sponsors, and then we're going to jump into what's in the news. Mm-hmm. Would like to thank our sponsor, Omaha Steaks. Does your dad love to grill but hates the hassle and poor quality at the grocery store? Have you ever thought of giving your dad steaks for Father's Day? I had not thought of this until Omaha Steaks sent us like a giant case of steaks to show us what their, their Father's Day package looks like. And I was like, this I got to give for Nick's dad. My dad's vegan, but Nick's dad is not. Nick's dad loves to grill,
1: loves his meats. And I was like, this is like the perfect gift for him. Yeah, and you know sometimes dads are really hard to shop for. Like, my dad doesn't ever want anything, so it's it's really hard to know what to get him. But like, obviously he eats, he loves to barbecue, so sending him a box of meat is an amazing gift.
2: They sent us such a big box that I was like, okay, uh, I'm gonna give these to some of the the fellow people at the podcast because at the podcast company because I'm nice like that. So I I gave them to Nick and I was like, hey, bring these to the studio so we can share. Nick said they went. In, within like half of a day. People were so excited. They were like grabbing meats.
1: Yeah. Ian and I have been eating steak for breakfast. We're just being like fancy panses. We're eating wow. steak and eggs.
2: That's so cute. I know. Now you guys are cooking. Cooking. I we're, love it.
1: We're pretty cute. Well, you got to test it before you give it to dad. So here's here are the perks for to, of getting Omaha Steaks for your dad. They're super convenient. Omaha Steaks delivers hand-trimmed, flash-frozen, and vacuum-sealed meats directly to your door in an Omaha Steaks cooler. There's a ton of variety. So you got pork, poultry, veal, lamb, bison, seafood, and vegetables. And your dad can even customize his order. Omaha Steaks uh, gives you the option to customize cuts for your dad's grilling needs, find recipes, and wine pairings.
2: Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited-time offer to our listeners for Father's Day at a very specific and very high 78% off. Wow. This is a really amazing deal. Go to omahasteaks.com and, and, and type in single in the search bar, and you can get this Omaha Steaks Father's Day package, which includes get ready for this, guys, because this is a big package two tender filet mignons, two beefy top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all beef Omaha Steak Burgers, four gourmet Jumbo Franks, 12 ounces of an all beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries. Four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning package, plus get four more grill-ready Omaha Steaks burgers free with purchase. Whew. That's a big package. Dad's going to not even know what to do. He's like,
1: Nick's dad's going to be like, my mind is blown. That's at least going to get him through the summer. At least.
2: Yeah. I'm not even joking that this is what I'm going to get Nick's dad for Father's Day.
1: Well, what dad wouldn't want a literal pound of French fries?
2: I know. Your dad would love it
1: yes he would so again this limited time package is only 49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com type in single in the search bar and add father's day package to your cart
2: don't wait this offer ends soon go to omahasteaks.com type single in the search bar grab your dad and fire up that grill would like to thank our sponsor Dagny Dover. Dagny Dover is the cutest bags. They are a fusion of fashion and function because everything has a place. Every bag has a purpose. There's no more water bottle spilling on your laptop or rogue tampon kind of disasters. They even have a pocket for your cell phone. They have a pocket for water bottles. I got the cutest bag, Angela. I got one called the Landing Carry All. It's in this like yellow mustard color that I was really feeling Angela vibes from when I picked it out.
1: It's funny you say that because I got a bag in the exact same color. Oh,
2: so cute. Mine is mesh. And well, technically the color is called soul. If you guys are yes.
1: going on Dag Dover's
2: website and you're like, I want to get the one Laura got. It's called soul. Like the sun, S-O-L. It's mesh. And I used it for an overnight bag the other day. I used it for a laptop bag the other day. And then I also bought... Got from D- Dagny Dover. They sent me like these other compartments so that I can turn it into a diaper bag when I have the baby. So it's just provided like a very multifunctional bag that I'm obsessed with.
1: Yeah, same. Um, I am not a mom to be. I'm a working woman, so I got the tote. I'm a working woman <laughs> or, you know too. What
2: I mean. I'm a working woman too. Thank you very much. But like, I don't need
1: a bag for diapers. Like, I need a bag that I can fit a laptop in. So I got the tote bag. Also in soul and like Laura said, it has all those like awesome compartments for every single possible thing you can need during the day. Um, Dover has elevated style and superior function. They're also 100% pebbled leather, and they have my favorite feature a detachable key leash. If you ever like get your keys lost at the bottom of your purse, you just pull on the leash and you yeah. pull them out. Those are for they have the this new one called the Allen Tote, so those are uh.
2: Those are really cool for the Allen tote. They also have the pockets for the wallet, foam, metro card and water bottle it's
1: like very you cool. said and also padded compartment that fits a 15-inch laptop. Very cool. So check out
2: the Allen tote. You could also check out the one that I got, the Landing Carryall, check out the the one that Angela got. So many cool options. Dagny Dover is offering our listeners 20% off your purchase when you go to dagnydover.com/single and enter our offer code single. Don't put off getting organized. My bag has changed my life. It really has. Check them out at DagnyDover.com slash single. That's D-A-G-N-E Dover.com slash single. And use our code single to get 20% off your first order. You'll be happy you did. All right, Angela, what do we have in the news this week?
1: Okay, so I was reading The Cut, a piece by Maria Del Russo. She wrote about how to be excellent or at least pretty good at meeting people without dating apps.
2: Because this is a lost art.
1: It is. And we hear from a lot of listeners who have no idea how to like just go to a bar and meet someone. It's really hard. So I love the the woman that wrote this piece. She wrote it because she went to an astrologer and the astrologer was like, dating apps are not for you. You have to meet someone in real life. So she panicked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, Which, uh, yeah. Always, always Totally relatable. Always got to believe the astrologist. Yeah.
1: Um, so they spoke to Amy <laughs> Harwick. based. Okay. Yeah, uh, so go ahead. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Hold on. Laura has some digs about the astrology. <laughs> no, I, I
2: love a good, I lo- I'm a Virgo. I love, you know, there's right. the, Nick's We're a Virgo.
1: We're both. Vir- We're
2: all. You're a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. Nick's a Virgo. My dog's a Virgo. I mean, like some, I got, I have to give some credit to that. I'm like, all right, I, g- I clearly get right. along with Virgos. I'm worried because my my baby no matter when he's born whether he's born a little early or he's born on time is not going to be a Virgo.
1: I'm sure he'll get along though. He
2: would have to <laughs> he would have to be like a month late which they don't allow. So I'm <laughs> like this he's going to be this is going to be like the first time that like a new sign is like being thrown in the mix.
1: Oh, maybe I'll get you like a mommy baby astrology book.
2: You know, I think hmm. I need that. Do they have that? They have.
1: To I have don't know. That. Google. I'm going to Google it. Okay. So anyway, so <laughs> this lady, um, she contacted this, um, marriage and family therapist named Amy Harwick to get some pointers on how to meet people. Um, so she gave her three tips broken down into good, better, and, uh, best. So oh. her good advice, she says, is stepping away from your phone.
2: Yeah, don't be on the phone when you're at a bar. That's like, mm. I, I don't want to go up to someone like kind that.
1: Kind of duh, but also hard. Like, I feel like it's just a nervous tick. Like, you just are always checking your phone.
2: It's like, it's like why, like, you know, smokers love to, like, go outside and, like, have a smoke. But I'm very against smoking. So, like, <laughs> it's like a nerve. Yeah, it's like the same yeah. kind of thing. You want to be, like, doing something. It's otherwise, something to do with your hands. Otherwise, you're just, like, staring off into space in the bar. Yeah, you probably should just stare off into space.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's what Amy (laughs) Hardwick says. Stare off into the middle (laughs) distance. Like, yeah, you saw something terrible earlier in the day. Um, So, yeah, so obviously she says be mindful of who's around you and make eye contact. And when you do that, you're just gonna, you're more likely to spark conversation with someone. uh, the, her better advice is friend referrals, which I love. She says friends are a great way to meet people because if you get along with your friend, you'll probably get along with your friend's friends, so you already have something in common um, and they can set you up. So she says don't be afraid to like ask your friends to set you up with their single friends. Well, that's
2: how I got... I mean, I didn't necessarily get set up with Nick, but I met him at a mutual friend's holiday party. Technically... Friend uh, referral. Friend. It was kind of a friend referral. Technically, he had gone on a date with her, but... They were not. It didn't work out. I wasn't stealing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it was similar.
1: Yeah. Um, and her final bit of advice, her best advice, is to diversify your hangouts. So she says if you go to the same bar with the same friends all the time, you're less likely to branch out and meet new people. So shake it up. Just go to a new bar. Go out with a new friend.
2: Lindsay, how did you meet your SIG other? In person? On an app? Yeah. So we met, oh my gosh, we're going on,
0: I think 16 years ago now, which is crazy for me to think about. And by the way, just like uh, we recently went out on like our date night and it's been a while and we're looking around and we see like everyone in the restaurant. Is on their phone and we're like, WT, like, what did we just walk into? What has happened to the dating world? Because that 16 years ago when we were recording each other was not the scene. So was, we got a good laugh about that. But um, so at the time I was a modern dancer and choreographer. Whoa. And he came to one of my, I was at a museum opening and he, like, I was in a bathtub fully dressed fully dressed, Um, and he wandered in, and I was like, who is this fox? And then I started seeing him everywhere, even though I hadn't seen him anywhere before, like at my favorite coffee shop, at the grocery store, and then finally, like, uh, I... Got up the courage and went up to him. And at the time, we were reading the same author, so it was like really good. Yeah, that's perfect first conversation.
2: Wait, how did you know you were reading the same author? Did so you have the book? Yeah.
0: Whoa. Yes, we, had, we. It was not the same title, but it was the same author. Great icebreaker. It was pretty great.
1: Did you acknowledge that you had seen him all over? Were you like not at this you were going point? I didn't want okay. to be like, like been, a
0: creep
2: ball. I've been stalking you everywhere. I see that you are at the museum. Yeah, see, I'm that would have been
1: shop. my opener, and that's where <laughs> I would have gone wrong. You, were you nailed it with the author. <laughs>
2: yeah. The The author was way more of a classy move.
1: Um, All right. Yeah. So those are the three main pointers. I think they're solid ones.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, What are you reading, Laura? So
2: I've been reading the Huffington Post. They wrote, When having a crush while in a relationship is okay and when it's not, they say there's a big difference between an innocent crush and emotional infidelity. This is written by Kelsey Borenson. So she writes, You can be in a happy, committed relationship and have a crush on another person at the same time and no, it doesn't make you a bad partner or a deceitful person. In fact... Psycho, um, psychologist and dating coach Samantha Robbins said it's commonplace for people in relationships to sometimes develop crushes. She says it's very normal and may have nothing to do with the happiness in the relationship overall. Uh, crushes make people feel attractive and alive and people get them even when they are very committed to their partner's but the relationship's no longer in that honeymoon phase necessarily. She says, you won't stop noticing or feeling attraction toward others, uh, and those feelings are automatically and, frankly, beyond our control. Because I feel like people get a lot of guilt. Like, I I was recently with a friend... And we were at a store together and and this friend like was it has been dating their their significant other for like six months and they're in a really happy relationship and there was like a really cute this is a guy friend and there was a really cute girl working at the at the eyeglass store and uh, and we leave the store to go get lunch and he's like and, and immediately when we leave he goes uh he goes is it is it?" Bad to think other people are cute. And I was like, You thought that eyeglass, (laughs) you thought that eyeglass girl was cute, didn't you? And he's like, Yeah. And I was like, It's totally fine. It's totally normal. Like, you shouldn't feel guilty. Um, and, and I feel, and then when I saw this article, I was like, okay, this is, this is a good timing after I just had that conversation with a friend who thought the girl that worked at the eyeglass shop was cute. And he was like feeling really guilty about it and was like, does this mean that I'm like not supposed to be with my girlfriend? I'm like, no, it doesn't mean that it's okay to think other people are cute. It's because it's called being human. And um, and uh what they had they have another relationship person that they quote in this that says, it's a choice to flirt, to daydream, and fantasize about this person or to choose to have more contact with them. In other words, an initial an initial attraction may be unavoidable, but nurturing that attraction through thought and action is on you. So like you can recognize that someone's cute and like have a little crush, but where you step over the line is if you take that into action. Like if he right. had gone up to the eyeglass you know, girl at the store and been like, hey, uh, so like, you know, want to get lunch or like, or like, you know, started like talking, you know? Yeah. So
1: they said thought and action. So are you stepping over the line if you're like thinking about that person too much? I don't know.
2: That's a good question. Is but that we, emotional cheating? But we've talked about having like crushes. Um, uh, Like you had the crush on who was that actor? <laughs> you, had a, you, had a, you had like a super crush yes. and then you took and then like Ian was actually getting like I think you took it too well, far well I got a
1: little obsessive you,
2: you took it too far I
1: wasn't gonna let it stop until the this actor acknowledged my existence and he <laughs> did uh, he commented on my Instagram but <laughs> and, the, and <laughs> it was like never gonna go beyond that but Ian was like what the fuck
2: yeah that, um, that's when I think Ian thought you took it too far from like a jokey crush to, right. to like you know at you were doing action you did the action I did the action did I went the action like a part.
1: step Too far, maybe half a step too far. But I have learned this about myself as I've gotten older and I've been in a committed relationship for a long time. I really do like having crushes on people. And, like, they're always harmless. It's just, like, it's just something fun to think about.
2: It's fun having the butterflies, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. You need a little jolt of that. And, like, it's never, like, I think you know the difference between, like, an innocent crush and, like, a, oh, no, like, this is going to uproot my life. Crush,
2: right? Let's, Haven't had one of those yet. You've been you've been with your your husband for sixteen years. Do you still get crushes?
0: Absolutely. I think it is totally normal, um, and I think I love that you guys are bringing up this topic because I think even you know in the early stages of dating and courting, you kind of have those questions like, oh, I'm looking for a sign and symbol. Maybe this isn't the right person for me. But like, flash forward sixteen years later, and now you've got a family, and you're wondering what's the significance here. And I think, like you said, at the end of the day, like there's just attractive, attractive people. I mean, there's like, I have a crush on like a flower I walked by on my way here. You know, like there's just beauty in the world and acknowledging and I think is just a really healthy emotion. But I love what you said about then not stop, not crossing that line. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's important. That's the important part. <laughs> Anyone who's listening to this new story and is like, oh good, this is normal. I'm gonna <laughs> just go. Just don't, don't, yeah, cross, the don't cross the line. Yeah, don't cross the line.
2: Yeah, because it can be easy to be like, oh, that person's really cute yeah. and they seem so fun and oh, I just got in a fight with my significant other. But you just gotta like, Just got to remember, like, the person you're crushing on, like, you don't know them that well. Like, they probably have a gazillion flaws. Just, like, acknowledge the crush from afar and let it be just that.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is once you get to know anybody, like, people
2: are fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Everyone's got their stuff. So don't ever (laughs) fantasize that someone is perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
2: On that note, we are going to jump into the mailbox. But first, let's take a quick break to thank another one of our sponsors. Mm. We would like to thank our sponsor, StoryWorth. StoryWorth is my new favorite thing. It's really cool. This is how it works. You purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. They simply reply to this email with their story, or they can record it over the phone by calling StoryWorth. You just call their number. All the stories are private and only shared with family that you choose. After a year, their stories will be bound into a beautiful keepsake book. How cool is that?
1: Um, It's super cool. And you know, Father's Day is coming up and you got this for your dad already. I I
2: got it from my mom and I got it from my dad. And my dad's really good at deadlines and I've been getting the most amazing stories. So I wanted to read one of the stories I got from my dad. Yeah. So one of the ones I sent him a couple weeks ago was, who is the wisest person you've known and what have you learned from them? I was really curious. He wrote, wow, great question. The wisest people I know are my children. Each one provides a different perspective and insight. Laura, perseverance and hard work pay off. Laura has always known what she wants and goes after it. She does stuff I'd never do, but I'm amazed of her tenacity and accomplishments. And then he talked about my eight siblings, but we don't need to talk about them.
1: <laughs> right? You're really the star of the show I here. the star
2: of the show. I'm the oldest child. It's always about me. <laughs> but yeah, he said some other nice things about, about my siblings, which is cool. And then I'll read one more. I said, which sports did you play in high school? He said, I was on the wrestling team in high school. I wrestled at the 118-pound weight class. I used to eat jello all week to not gain weight. The year I quit the team, I gained 20 pounds.
1: <laughs> did you know that about your dad?
2: I knew he played wrestling, but I didn't know he ate jello and gained 20 pounds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that is something you will never forget now. I know. Every time you look at Jell-O. Exactly. <laughs> so, guys, this is obviously a wonderful gift to learn more about your family and how they feel about you and your siblings. Um, it's a great way to stay in touch. It helps you bridge the geographic distance if you live far apart and you have lively discussions. You can also preserve memories. You pass on treasures to your children and their future families. You get one year of weekly story prompts. And then, yeah, like Laura said, at the end of the year, you get a hardcover printed book. It's beautiful.
2: I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I can't wait to get my book and I'm going to print one for my siblings too. So even though I'm the star of the show. Right. They, they still got some love in the And then
1: too. one day your baby can read it.
2: I know. My little baby. Um, so, guys, really check out StoryWorth. It's so special. Use our code SINGLE. For $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash single when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash single, and you will get $20 off. All right, Angela, what do we have in the mailbox this week?
1: Um, So first up, we actually, we got an email from, with a little feedback from a male listener. We had talked on our episode called Casual Hookups and Debunking Sex Myths about how um, not all guys need to finish during sex to enjoy it and women shouldn't be offended if a guy doesn't come. Um, which is like, seems to be news to a lot of people. Like I think a lot of women we talked to were surprised that like some guys fake it. Yeah.
2: And I remember remember even like, I would get like offended if like, you know, in my early dating days when, if I was hooking up with a guy, even if like we'd been drinking, if he like couldn't come, I'd be like, oh, he doesn't think I'm like sexy enough. It's me. It's all about me. Cause you know, sometimes us women think it's all about us.
1: Right. Well, cause we're also raised to think that like, you just like tickle a man and he comes like, yes. Like, men are just, like, hyper-sexed. So, anyway, so we got this email from an anonymous listener, and he wrote, um, In this podcast, you briefly mentioned that guys don't always need to finish during sex. Holy cow, you should talk about this and the ramifications that expectation carries. I had a girlfriend that would get upset with me and with herself and not feel sexy if I couldn't finish every time. Including when we'd go multiple times throughout the night and next morning, ladies, it's okay if we don't finish. That's the least fun part of sex because it's over. And if we've had sex four times and can't finish, it's not you. The gun's unloaded. Okay, that well, should well, duh. Well, duh.
2: <laughs> I mean, the last part, like. That should have been a little, I mean, I could understand, like, maybe if every time they have sex, he doesn't come, like, maybe you want to, like, at least discuss that together and discuss, like, what issues might be going on with him or
1: why or what's happening.
2: But if you've had sex multiple times. Yeah, if he just
1: came three times. (laughs) First of all, bless her heart that she has so much energy.
2: Yeah, what the (laughs) hell? I've never had sex so many times in a row. (laughs)
1: Um, but yeah, it's normal.
2: Yeah. Is this a pelvic floor issue or not really?
0: I don't think so. No. No. Okay. No. I I do want to take a quick second though. Um, and just like if I could bring up women (laughs) in terms of, um, like orgasm and everything, because I think that, um, it's so a really illuminating book that I highly recommend called "Come as You Are." <laughs>
2: oh, I've heard of it. C-U-M.
0: Yeah. by not- Emily. Na- yeah, exactly. <laughs> by Emily Nagoski. Nagoski. Um, I'm never. I never say her last name. Right. There's also like a 10 minute TED Talk out there. I highly recommend at least starting with that to see if the book is at all interesting to you. So what it does is it really illuminates uh, and sheds some light on like the importance of arousal for a woman. So with men, it can be pretty straightforward. There's an erection. We see it. It's okay. He's he's in the game. He's ready. Um, for women, it's, you know, <laughs> a little bit more subtle. Um, and so one of the things that she brought up, which I think is fascinating, is that the average woman takes about 35 to 40 minutes to actually become aroused. Now, this is not just like heavy petting and, you know, contact. This is actually can originate in our thoughts, um, glances across the dinner table, you know, like any of these things counts toward that. So it's not just like hands-on, <laughs> um, which I think is important. That would be a lot of
2: foreplay. That'd be like a long foreplay. <laughs> That'd
0: be pretty long. Yeah. That'd be pretty long. Yep. And two things has to happen to a woman's body to signify um, that they're aroused. Uh, number one, we have to produce lubrication. Uh, and number two, our cervix actually has to lift. So the average female vaginal canal is about three to four inches And most men would at least claim that they have more than that going on. And so in order to accommodate that, our cervix actually has to lift via our ligaments in order to create that space for intimacy to be comfortable. And that happens and takes place over that, you know, X number of 35 or 40 minutes. So if you're
2: having painful sex, it could possibly be because you weren't fully aroused?
0: That's exactly right.
2: Whoa, Ah. another mind-blowing thing.
0: So take some time
2: take some time.
0: Take 20 minutes. One wow. thing that's super cool too is that when we're ovulating, our body actually naturally does this for us. So it's nature's way of being like, "Hey, I'm ready. Let's do this." So if those two or three days when we're ovulating, your your cervix has already been lifted.
2: Yeah, cuz me there has been like a couple times where I'm like, "Oh, it it like hurts more than like usual. Maybe I just like didn't do enough foreplay." Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So highly recommend come as you are. Check out the po- the TED Talk if you can.
2: Thank you for that. Thank you. That's awesome. Hot tip.
0: Huh? Hot tip. Um, okay. So
1: now we have some questions. These are actually related. They, they were inspired by you talking about your pelvic floor therapy, Laura. Um, so first up, this one's from Asha. She says, I really appreciate Laura's talking about her experience with pelvic floor therapy on your Don't Ditch Your Friends episode. I've experienced tightness and discomfort during sex and was seriously considering going to physical therapy, but was hesitant for obvious reasons. Um so we kind of we got into like what a typical session would be um but,
2: but yeah like why do people experience tightness and discomfort during sex um besides you know maybe the the cervix not mm-hmm. not lifting and like how could we maybe help Asha
0: Yeah yeah so um Let's go back to thinking about the pelvic floor muscles like every other muscle in the body. And if we think about the three main functions, so elimination, intimacy, and organ protection, we already talked about why like flexion and letting go serves urinary function. It's kind of the same thing with bowel movements, but with intimacy... In order to accommodate, if, if penetration is what we're participating in, in order to accommodate penetration, our muscles also have to soften and let go and elongate and become supple, just like they have to do with complete elimination of bowel and bladder, just like we have to do to deliver a baby. And so um, I would not only encourage her to be mindful and aware that the arousal process can, can take some time, but really working with understanding the coordination of her pelvic floor. So recognizing that there are these different places that it can go, it's not just tight, it's not just up. So that is important. The other thing is for orgasm and the quality of our orgasm. It's really about the ability to move through flexion and relaxation. So an orgasm is basically range of motion. It's mobility, it's lifting our pelvic floor. It's the rhythmic contraction of lifting and letting go, lifting and letting go.
2: This is why I'm sick of people saying... Do a bunch of kegels to have bigger orgasms That's because exactly right. it's a myth.
0: It's it's half of the story. And unfortunately, our culture only understands it as the half of the story where it's lifting and tightness, not letting go. And again, you would not go to the gym and carry a 10-pound weight in your arm and just pump it two or three inches. You would let that weight go all the way down to your side and you would pick it back up. Same thing for the pelvic floor. So I would really urge Asha to um, begin to understand and think about that concept In her pelvic floor, honestly, I would say 90% of my sessions are all about teaching a client how to relax. I can't remember the last time that a client came in and I was like, yep, Kegels is the answer. That's what you got to do. It's all about the tightening. It's really more about like restoring function and mobility and range of motion. So I think that could really benefit Asha. Awesome. Cool. Um, Okay. So now we have an email
1: from Jackie. Jackie wrote to us and she said, first, I wanted to say thank you to Laura for being so open about her pelvic floor Uh, therapy.
2: Anytime. I have no boundaries anymore (laughs) after doing this podcast for... 144
1: (laughs) episodes. Um, She says, I have had UTI issues since I became sexually active and would basically get one if I didn't clean up and pee within like 10 minutes of any kind of sex. In August of this year, I had a very sudden and painful onset of an infection that hurt along the right side of my cervix and up to my right kidney. I ended up taking a trip to the ER. This all happened within like 24 hours. And have since been in the process of um, getting in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the process of appointment after appointment to figure out what the hell is going on. Well, today, my urologist gave me a referral for pelvic floor physical therapy. If I had not heard you talk about this a few episodes ago, this whole process would have been way scarier. Instead, it feels like a real answer, and I am super hopeful that letting a stranger push on my lady parts will help me get better and be worth all the weirdness. Um, So do you have any advice for like a first-timer like uh, our
0: friend Jackie here? So I would definitely recommend a first-timer, like potentially call, call the rehab facility. So reach out to the therapist. And I entertain these kind of questions and calls all the time. It's really important to me that we feel like we're a fit and that they understand what they're getting into because it's just not going to be beneficial if they don't. And again, just to emphasize, like we really seek out this, this specialty. It doesn't just fall into our laps or haphazardly get there. So we really want to be there. And it's important to us to make our clients as comfortable as possible. So, you know, keep it keep it brief, you know, but be respectful of their time, but reach out to the therapist and just be like, hey, I'm super nervous. This is really kind of funny. I know you do this all day, every day, but this is really new for me. Um, if you could just kind of give me a rundown of what to expect, that would be really great. And you can get a lot of information about that cl- about that uh, therapist during that call. That will give you your intuition a sense of is this going to be is this going to be a good session for you? Hopefully, you have other options in your city. Not everybody does. There's a huge deficit of pelvic floor therapists, um, but hopefully, you have other options, and you can you can find someone that you're really comfortable with.
2: Are you able to guess just from the information she provided what you think might be going on with like? The, I, she says like she feels. Let's see. She says she felt pain alongside the right side of her cervix. I don't even think I would know what. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know what my cervix feels like. Yeah, she think, says
1: right up to her right kidney. Like still, that's very organ specific. I
2: still don't <laughs> even know exactly what my cervix is. I mean, I remember I got a kidney infection one time from yeah. a really bad UTI, and um, <laughs> I like didn't know where my kidneys were. I thought like my back was hurting, and I was like Nick, my. Lower back hurts. Will you give me a massage? And so I made him that night give me a massage. So he's basically like massaging my infected kidney.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> what a guy! And then,
2: so he's and he's already
0: prepped and ready to go for this perineal massage. You know I mean? And
2: then, like the next morning, I still felt like I was in pain. I was like, I don't know, I'm going to go to the doctor. Like I went downhill so fast. Within an hour of getting to the doctor, I was like turning blue and purple, and she sent me immediately to the ER. And that was like when like, my that was like the height of when my then my UTI is like started happening after that. But I had like a 105 degree fever. It was crazy. But it just goes to show, like she seems to know where her organs are. I didn't know where my kidneys were. I didn't know it was my kidney that was hurting. I thought it was my lower back. And meanwhile, I am have like a kidney infection and 105 degree fever no idea.
1: So she's already off to
0: a good start.
2: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but like, why do you think um, they would send someone with an infection to pelvic floor therapy? Yeah.
0: So this is a really important point because, you know, I don't, we do we don't work with anyone until the medical stuff is cleared up. So, you know, if you have um, an active infection, you know, it sounds like there is a, there's a kidney involvement, right? Because it really starts at that level of the cervix and goes up to her low back That stuff's got to be cleared up. And quite honestly, that just makes sense anyway, right? Like that's the priority at that point in time. And then we can really address, have the time and space to address the muscular involvement. So maybe the muscles were already sort of tight and contracted and not coordinating well, or maybe through the pretty traumatic experience of like that whole incidence of going to the ER and the quick time that she experienced it could really lead to some holding patterns and some tension there. And I think that's what happened to me was the infections then
2: led to the more... Of course.
0: Of course. I mean, that makes so much sense. You know, our body is trying to protect ourselves. And so um, I think that it sounds like because her urologist has given her the referral, they have gone to a place where she's medically stable and they've ruled out any other organ involvement. So at this point in time, I think it would be more about like, again, not to sound repetitive, but about learning how to relax and let go so that the kidneys and the and her entire uh, pelvic area can really let go and relax, um, which can only serve to provide her more stability and comfort and strength.
2: That makes sense. I wish more people knew about this. Like if ER people, when they're treating people with kidney infections, would say like, yeah. hey, yeah. keep an eye on if you have any residual pain even after the infection's gone. It could be that your muscles are like a little messed up from this infection and you might need to be aware of going to pelvic floor therapy. Whereas, like, if I break my finger, they immediately were like, cool. So even after the bones heal you're going to need to go to physical therapy and they just don't do the same for this area of the body.
0: So what's kind of amazing is, um, so like I've had some health stuff go on recently, um, which I think is very humbling and reminds me about what a lot of my clients have been through before they get to me. So I'm usually not their first line of defense. Like they've already been to at least a handful of doctors before they see me. Um, and I had a similar experience recently and I had a cyst on my ovary. Uh, which is completely benign and it's working its way out um, but I was in the I was getting a transvaginal ultrasound um, and they I was talking to the technician and we were like she was amazing she was like so so lovely and so comforting and it was a women's wellness center for ultrasound okay where they did like breast mammograms and the whole thing. So of course I tell her what I did for a living, and here's this woman who's been doing this for like eleven years, specifically transvaginal ultrasounds and pelvic ultrasounds on ovaries and kidneys. She had never heard of pelvic floor therapy. It's so frustrating, wow. and unfortunately, it's just the state, you know. And and so maybe our maybe our first line like urogynes and everything, but you're bringing up a really important point of like ER doctors, and here's someone who does transvaginal ultrasounds and you know, she's seeing the response when this ultrasound device goes in. And if you're recoiling and withdrawing and maybe you've had really a lot of pain with the speculum and your wellness exam in the past. And anything down there other than someone that you are really close with can feel very obtrusive. So I think sensitivity and awareness and education, even around those like supportive ancillary functions, aren't necessarily our main doctors. But these people that are seeing these cases, I oh, it's a dream of mine that they, they would understand their role.
2: For those that don't know what transvaginal ultrasound is, I didn't know till I was pregnant but it basically looks like a dildo that goes inside of you, but it's an ultrasound. And when you're
1: pregnant... And it doesn't feel good, <laughs> I imagine. No, I've I mean, it, it,
2: it feels fine. Like, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel bad to me, I think, because uh, it just doesn't. But I I didn't know what that was till I got pregnant and went in for an ultrasound and realized, oh, at the beginning stages when you're pregnant, ultrasounds are not all like the movies. It's not all on the top of the belly. Right. When the... when you. The embryo is first developing. The only way to see it is mm-hmm. through these transvaginal ultrasounds. So, uh, any ladies that are not pregnant yet, your very first ultrasounds will likely be uh, an ultrasound machine that looks like a dildo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyways, uh, what else do we have? that's record? a good example of something that's good to know about beforehand. Just, a, just
2: good to know about. Call
1: your doctor. Be like, <laughs> I did, it was "Are a, there dildos involved?"
2: It was. A, <laughs> it was very much a surprise for me. <laughs>
1: Um, So, Jackie um, also had a dating question for us. She's got a lot going on, Jackie. So, she also wanted to know, is it normal that I am going on dates, finding people interesting, and then later feeling a bit more meh? I am trying to stop ending first, first dates with, yes, I'd like to see you again. But so far, I have and I feel like I should text them and to let them know when I change my mind, sometimes it's not right away. But like, what do I say? And what if it's after a second date? What's uh? What's the graceful? What's way? the graceful way of saying I don't want to have sex with you?
2: Uh, well, first of all, you, you don't need a graceful way to say I don't want to have sex with you. You should feel empowered to say that at any point. Um, Word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess you want me to tell. I I. I'll tell you what I wrote her back. So I said. In terms of graceful way of saying that you don't want to go out with someone, I thought a few options were like, I genuinely had so much fun with you and I think you're awesome, but I just didn't feel that chemistry spark. You know, I hope you understand. Uh, If you really want to like, you know, have a longer text, you could say like, I didn't want to ghost you because you seem cool. Ha ha ha. That's probably what I would say. Right. (laughs) You know, like you seem cool. I don't want to ghost you. You're like, I really had a nice time. Didn't feel that spark. Uh, You know, some people might think that's weird, but I think it's like disarming and a nice way to not hurt. People's feelings and still compliment them while letting them down. Uh, you don't need to say all of that, but I have a right. tendency to be an over texter. Uh, also, I've seen a lot of guys send angry texts to someone letting them down, but you'd have to be a real jerk to get an angry to get angry after receiving like a text like that. So that that's what I would say to someone if she's looking for, you know, sh- if she feels like she wants to let them down after like two dates, which is a nice thing to do because a lot of days people just ghost. But but then you know if you run into that just like just send them this text it's nice you know what would you do
1: well I agree I like like chalking it up to like chemistry um or spark because then it's not really personal like you're not critiquing anything about them as a person it's just like it's it's me and you the chemistry of us together that's not working um uh I feel like I relate a little bit to this in that when I was dating like I would meet somebody and be like I mean they're not like Great, but they're nice, so I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I don't want to say I won't see them again, and, like, I would just wind up going out with, like, people who I felt mad about.
2: But maybe that's good to give them a chance because you don't know. Some, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes mad turns into great with Nick. But, I, like, like, I, I feel knew like rarely. Yeah, I knew immediately that I was into him, but, but that's not always the case, you know? So I
1: would definitely say, like, if you have a tendency to do this, give it, like, a two-date cap, and if you're still feeling mad after two dates, like be honest with yourself and just know that like, just because they're nice, that doesn't mean that they're for you.
2: Yeah. I like that. Um, well, we hope that's helpful. Email us back. Let us know if any of you listeners want your questions answered, or if you have any funny messages from an app or text that you want to share with us, you can email us at contact at thisiswhyoursingleshow.com. We ask that you keep all listener questions, you know, few sentences under a paragraph so that they're short enough for us to read on the show. Uh, you can also find all of our contact info on our website at com. Now let's dive in to our reason of the week.
1: This week's reason is why your pelvic floor matters to your sex life.
2: You would think we'd, we've covered it all. But, but the we pelvic... haven't
1: really talked about the no, sex aspect yet.
2: Not, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it when it comes to like the cervix and things like that and yeah. orgasms, but... There's so much going on with the pelvic floor. Uh, first, one thing we have definitely not talked about is men's pelvic floor. And we recently read a news story about how men can do kegels. Uh, and and this news story happened to to claim that doing kegels for men can help them last longer. Is this a myth? Was this total BS? And what's the deal with men's pelvic floor and, and kegels? Yeah,
0: so first thing I love that you guys brought this up because most people don't know that men also have a pelvic floor, it serves the same functions. Um, so intimacy, elimination, and organ protection. And I uh, always bring around two two diagrams with me. They're like kind of fun. Um, and I lay them side by side and it shows the male pelvis and it shows the female pelvis. And other than the fact that the female pelvis has two holes and the male only has one, the muscles actually are laid out exactly the same and have the exact same names. So from an embryotic or you know um, orientation, it's all the same. So the exact same things we've been talking about throughout the show apply to them. I think that it's a little bit easier for males to know that they're doing Kegels because they get that flag post symbol of, you know...
2: Wait, s- the penis goes
0: up when the, they do a Kegel? The penis actually goes up.
1: No. It's like doing sit-ups with your penis. Yeah. Kind of, oh. Well, yeah. well
2: An- Angela and I know what we're going to be watching tonight. We're going to go home and begin...
1: We the gonna, Penis Olympics.
0: Yeah, the Penis Olympics with our guys. That's pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> and another cue that can be really helpful for guys if they can't quite figure that out is to re- recreate what it feels like when you like go into a cold pool or a cold shower. And that like sense of like, you know, the scrotum kind of like lifting up, that's also a Kegel for men. And at that same time, then the penis should actually rise.
2: And what does that help with?
0: I mean, it's all the stuff we've already talked about. So, it's so the same com- for women. Exactly the same. Wow. And so d- don't do too many.
2: Don't do too many. Can it help penis them it last longer, supposedly?
0: You know, lasting longer, sure, but I think the main things that I really see are the scent, the robustness of the sensation being greater. So just like you might work out so that you, you can extend your leg further when you're running, you should do full range of motion inner core exercises, which a Kegel is just one part of, so that your muscles can get a better sensation when they actually orgasm because that's what orgasm is. It's just moving, flexing, extending rhythmically.
1: Um, So you help people decrease pelvic pain, including during sexual activity. So I wanted to know, like, how exactly do you do that? How do you help
0: people with that? Yeah. So there's, um, you know really helping them understand that they can be the detective to their own body, especially as it relates to all the functions that we've been talking about because the goal is not to see me forever. It's really to have embody them and empower them with this information that's going to carry them through the rest of their life. And knowing that something that we do every single day multiple times a day, um, <laughs> peeing, pooping, maybe not sex, um, is really informative and gives us information about how our body is working is just amazing to me. And so um we're talking about sort of what we use our everything we've talked about today kind of what we use our pelvic floor for And then getting them to really tap into their inner core and understand its movement. So um, the Kegel or the pelvic floor is just one part of this inner core system. It actually has four parts to it. And the diaphragm, which is the breathing muscle, is really the conductor of the whole system. It's so important. So we often start there, getting them to feel and uh, coordinate and relate the diaphragm with the pelvic floor. And then things like yoga and foam rolling and myofascial release techniques that enable the pelvis and the inner thighs and the glutes because all these muscles are also made up of our pelvic floor all
2: things I do I'm like all about the yoga and I'm obsessed with my foam roller I try to get Nick to do the foam roller too even just after a workout to like release yeah, the muscles highly recommend it they're the, if pelvic floor Oh, I mean uh, foam rollers are like the best thing ever created and so easy
0: so easy. And it can just let those muscles that go into your pelvic floor relax. So it doesn't always have to be internal. It doesn't always have to be like really intimate. You know, you just take your foam roller out in the living room and you're hanging out with your significant other and you're foam rolling and you're actually helping your pelvic floor release and relax. Um And I, I didn't like learn about
2: the foam roller from going to pelvic floor therapy. This was something like my trainer had me do. So it was a very, you know, you know, a welcome news to know that, oh, if I do this, I'm also helping my pelvic foam rollers are just like so many things they they help bring blood flow to your legs they help like release toxins and like just get everything moving and then
1: it's great I'm a big fan big fan um how do you identify like what a problematic like pelvic pain would be because I feel like sometimes you have sex and maybe it's a little uncomfortable but like what is that like pain that you would have that you'd be like oh I need to
0: so I think that it you're looking for patterns, you know, number one, if you're not fully aroused and it's a one-off time, you know, and you weren't really into it, you might feel pain. That doesn't necessarily mean it's indicative, right? Which is why I love that Come As You Are book and TED Talk because it's helping to normalize and help us understand that we don't have to freak out with every sensation. It's more just wrapping our head around how does the art of arousal serve us. Um, but I would say if there's a pattern, if there's predictable times, and it's also pay attention to the sensations. So... Some women will report that they feel that the discomfort right upon initial penetration, some will say it's deeper in. And that's really informative to us because it lets us know which layer of the muscles have been involved So a really common story around that would be like a postpartum woman who maybe had an episiotomy or a tear, basically trauma in her pelvic floor. And the perineum is really key because it's where most of her muscles actually meet. meet. So it's the highway of the pelvic floor. And when there's trauma there, um, unfortunately those muscles do get impacted. So that is really indicative of the pain upon initial penetration. And there might be some scar tissue there. And I'm hugely passionate about teaching a woman how to do scar care after she's had a baby and especially a C-section mom. So a C birth, it's super important for a mom to rehab her low abs because that's actually another part of the inner core. So we've already mentioned the pelvic floor, we've mentioned the diaphragm and it's the low abs, known as the TA, the transversus abdominis. Those are our deep inner core muscles. So it's not the six-pack, it's not the obliques. Those are our mirror muscles. Those look good them in their tone, but they're actually not supporting the functions that we're talking about during this podcast.
2: So interesting. So, I mean, we've covered so much this episode. And the thing I like is a lot of the taboos and especially a lot of the myths we've been told, like girls should not go and pee together, shouldn't do the peeing just in case, shouldn't do a thousand kegels a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've learned how to poop. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that's like big myths that, that you think we've missed that you see a lot of people come in and you're like, you just hear this all the time? Yeah, people are doing this thing wrong or anything involving sex that you think we've missed or?
0: Yeah. I would actually love to bring up, um, the abdominal wall because I think that's really important. Uh, so I've already mentioned that like the six pack and the obliques are sort of more the mirror muscles. Um, but when a woman, when a person is holding their belly in all the time and
2: this is something you talked about in your seminar, this, all right. Yes.
0: I'm glad we got to this. So some, some people do it because like, they might, they're, growing up, they might've heard their mom say like, suck in your belly, stand up straight. And we really kind of equate it to like good posture and being ladylike and whatever. Well, when we do that, either out of like that conscious decision, because we have that, our mom's voice in our head or out of, let's or say your vanity. Friend,
2: or your friends and vanity, like suck it in, suck it in. And like totally. women walk around with stomachs sucked in.
0: Yeah. And then we have like waist trainers and all of these things that are only promoting that as a sign of like tightening and toning. Well, just like we talked about with the pelvic floor, if you're and even your bicep, if you're keeping that part of your body rigid and fixed, you're not actually able to breathe well. We talked about the diaphragm being a really key component in this inner core system. And if you're not doing that, you're really bypassing uh quality breath, which means you're kind of in like a fight or flight place. You know, you're kind of maybe very anxious, you're really, really breathing with your chest and not your lower. So your diaphragm is right below like your bra line, right below your chest. And that area really needs to expand and contract to be strong. And if you're holding it in, again, it's like me holding my bicep up at my shoulder all day long. I'm definitely not going to see any strength or any robustness or any change in the musculature if I'm just holding in a fixed rigid place. So we had briefly alluded to prolapse. And I just want to mention that um, prolapse, which is basically a breakdown of the muscle's ability to support our internal organs. If we squeeze our belly in all day, the pelvic floor takes a huge hit and that pressure kind of like, it's just the same thing with the advice you were given about I can't wait for all
2: these, these girls that are like sucking in their stomachs and then their vaginas fall out. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Like those waist trainers, they're just thinking about the aesthetics. No, I'm just kidding.
0: I don't wish that upon anybody.
1: (laughs) I want your vagina to stay right where it is. (laughs) Just take
0: the waist trainer off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if if you're uh, not getting that sort of accordion like suppleness nature um, and you're just squeezing in, it's a little bit like what your pelvic floor therapist had said about pooping. When you really push with pooping, it's a little bit like wearing keeping your abs in all day. That pressure has to go somewhere. It's a closed canister of pressure, and our abdomen is. and if that pressure can't go somewhere, for a lot of us, because of gravity, it goes down into our pelvic floor. It can actually also go up. So we see like a lot of indigestion and acid reflux. That's more for like a, possibly a person who hasn't had a baby, but it can be present in anyone if they don't have good behavior and daily habits. And so, um, highly, highly, highly recommend to wow, allow I a, the belly to be supple.
2: I have a friend that has acid reflux. I've never even, I'm sure, you know, she's been going to doctors. I'm sure they never even thought to tell her like, don't suck in your stomach.
0: It's mismanagement of pressure at the end of the day. It's a closed pressure chamber. It needs to expand and contract. And there's going to be a breakdown in the system either above it or below it when that basic physiological need isn't met. So
1: all this time that I've had a supple belly,
0: I've been been nailing it.
1: You did.
2: Good job, Angela. Wow. We've learned so much. Um, And this brings us finally to our Reason of the Week breakdown. The public floor is a very serious thing. Sometimes it's embarrassing, it's hard to talk about, which is why it sometimes helps to have fun words for things. We are going to test Lindsay's knowledge of urine slang in a game we call...
1: Wee oui, wee oui, oui, or wizard, wizard name.
2: <laughs> we are going to say a name, and you have to tell us whether it's slang for P that we found on the internet or if it's a pop culture wizard or fairy Oh, name. my gosh. I'm
0: going to be so bad at this game. Bring it on.
2: Okay. You right. might
0: surprise yourself.
2: Uh, Angela, Wait. What were the two options again? It's S- either going to be P or a wizard slash fairy.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So, like, something fantasyful or yeah. urine. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> First word. Piddle. Is that Wee Wee?
0: I'm going to go with oh. Wee Wee.
1: Correct. It is mm. Wee Wee.
0: Krista. Krista, that's definitely a fairy or wizard.
1: Yeah. Yes. From my
2: favorite childhood movie, Ferngully.
1: Yeah. The movie gave me nightmares, but it was
2: what? It was fun. It was a little it's scary. About, wasn't it kind of about climate change? Yes,
1: but I was like, oh my God, we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, it's happening. Okay. Blaze. Oh, gosh. Wee Wee or wizard name.
2: Wizard name?
1: Yes. It was Merlin's Master. Cool. Uh, twinkle. Oh, p.
2: I've never heard that one. Really? It sounds very fairy-like to me. Yeah.
1: It could be both. I'm sure there's a fairy out there with that yeah. name also.
0: Um, <laughs> and she also pees.
1: Yeah. Twinkle, twinkles. Um, oh, twinkle, twinkle. Oh. Um, Troggle. Oh,
0: gosh. Wizard?
1: Oh. Apparently that's p. We found it on the internet. Spell it again? T-R-O-G-G-L-E. Okay.
2: New one for me. Yeah, never heard of that one either. Uh, Rinse Wind.
0: Oh, gosh.
2: Urine. Wizard. It's from Discworld. Technically, he's a a wizard. Uh, I don't know. This is part (laughs) of the game where I
0: go significantly downhill. (laughs) No,
2: no. You're 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 going to make a comeback.
1: (laughs) Okay, next one. It's pretty easy. Wiz. Yeah, urine. Yep. Sure is. Tink. Tink or
2: taint. Tink. T-I-N-K. Urine. Oh. Pinker, uh, Peter Pan, Tinkerbell. Oh. Tink. That's a
1: nickname. Tink. You
0: can't do Tink it for nick- sure. Oh, all
2: right. All right. Fine. <laughs> you got me.
1: Um, sprinkle. Urine. Correct.
2: And last but not least, plank. Oh. P-W-E-N-K. Wizard. Oh. oh. I've never heard this word either, but we looked these up on on Wiktionary, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I would say you did pretty good. It's, you so did. A, w- a lot of wizard names, <laughs> as we've discovered, sound <laughs> a lot like slang for P. Yeah. And uh, now
1: we learned some fun new words for P, too. Yeah. You could say, oh, I'm going to go take a troggle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, guys, we hope we have cleared up this week's reason because that is it for this week's This Is Why You're Single podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, Lindsay Vestal, to find out about her services and check out her workshops. You can go to uh, www.functionalpelvis.com. No, the just www.functionalpelvis.com. Her Instagram is functionalpelvis and Twitter is functionalpelvi. Any other plugs we should tell people about?
0: I have a weekly uh, email called The Hump Day Hustle, which you can sign up for. It's free. And it's like my insider's guide to the inner core. I often have videos. I have podcasts that I'm obsessed with. Of course, your guys have been listed. Oh. Instagram accounts, stretches, exercises, just anything that I'm obsessed with that Very week. Very cool. So we, jump I gotta on I got to make it.
2: sure I'm on that one. Yeah. Um, a little plug for ourselves, you can check out our book. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our audio book is available on Audible.
1: Yep, and you can get hooked up with discounts from all of our sponsors. We talked a lot about Lube. You can get a discount on Loop if you <laughs> want to go to um, our podcast page on com. That'll have all our sponsors in the code. I'm sorry, and the codes, plural.
2: We got so many codes. So
1: many, so many options. We're also on social, so you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at your single show. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. And thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Bye. Thank
0: you. This is why you're single. This is why you're single.